Straight from the Source with Michael Russo is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Minnesota Wild tickets tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. My favorite part of the app is the panoramic seat view photos from every section. I like to sit there and see exactly what I'm looking at, where I'm sitting, and to me, it's just an awesome part of the app and a great feature. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo, the fourth episode of Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Thanks for joining. Uh, we're coming to you live from Nashville where the Wild Tech try to take their modest two-game uh, winning streak, yet impressive two-game winning streak over Montreal and Edmonton, and try to extend it to three tonight against the Predators. This is the same team the Wild actually lost to opening night, if you remember that game. Wild um, actually played really, really well uh, for parts of the first period and a lot of the second period. Built a 2-1 lead with two late goals by uh, Jason Zucker and uh, Matt Dumba, if I remember correctly. And then all of a sudden, the game turned upside down in the third period. Granlin scored 27 seconds in. I believe Austin Watson scored just inside two minutes, and then Arvidsson scored, and then it was an empty netter, and the Wild lost 4-5-2. And that game would not only set the kind of the, the pattern for uh, the Wild to start 1-6, and six, that's now 3-6, and six, but it also showed a nearly trend of giving up quick goals. If you remember, Granlin and Watson scored like a minute and a half apart within the first two minutes of the third period, and that's been a trend all year long that the Wild have to quit. Um, but this episode is straight from the source with Michael Russo. I, I'm happy to be joined by one of my best friends, Anthony LaPanta, the Wild play-by-play guy uh, for Fox Sports North. And, you know, I was thinking coming into the interview, I've interviewed Anthony a hundred times. Everybody's heard our stories. Um, everybody's always knows uh, kind of our shtick. He's, he's the positive guy. Um, uh, talking about the wild, and I like to fancy myself as the reality check to a lot of the things that Anthony says. But the one thing that people don't realize about Anthony is his struggles to work his way up to be, to land his dream job in his home state to become the play-by-play guy for the for Fox Sports North and the Minnesota Wild, and also become uh, FSN's pre and post game show uh, host, or a lot of the times the host um, for Twins telecasts. And, you know, every sports fan has an opinion about the play-by-play guy. You either love him, you hate him, but yet you probably want to be him because he's got a really cool job. And I don't think a lot of people understand um, what Anthony had to do to build his career while also raising a family. He's got four kids, incredible wife, Margo, and and there were struggles growing up. And the the, the stories are actually endless. This, this is a long podcast that could have gone forever. But I think what it does is this is a type of podcast that might inspire um, children who dream of doing play-by-play and, and giving them advice and, and support that you need to get there um, and not giving up. And so there's a lot of fun stories in this one. And of course, we talk about a European vacation coming up next year to Budapest, Prague, and Vienna. Um, Wild fans can come on that July 9th to the 18th. Uh, if you go to definedestinations.com, we talk a little bit about the episode as well. So without further ado, Straight from the Source with Michael Russo is joined by Anthony LaPanta. Happy to be joined by Anthony LaPanta, fourth ever guest on Straight from the Source. Ryan Carter well, I'm was in the was, top four. Yeah, you were. It went Boudreaux, Carter, Garen LaPanta. Wow. Well, Dan Myers is next. Oh, boy. Well, that <laughs> diminishes things in a hurry, but I'm proud to be a part of that top four. That's an <laughs> impressive list. I, I appreciate it. How's Phil doing? Phil is fine. He just got a, hair, a haircut, so he's he looks a little bit rat-like right now. But <laughs> otherwise, it's the same old Phil. I think he was just overly concussed as a puppy and a little confused by life. But he's doing fine. I feel like Stanley is kind of like dry white toast, though. Now, Phil's excited. Stanley's wise, although right now Stanley is very distracted. He's convinced that there's a critter that's living behind our grill so he probably spends, I'd say, 30 to 40 minutes a night at about 10 o'clock on lookout, just standing on the patio, staring behind the grill to see if this critter emerges. 
Phil gives up after about four minutes and comes back in and yelps at the door. So it, it works out pretty well. My favorite uh, thing during hockey games, a lot of times I'll get like these Snapchats from Margo, your wife, with uh, – like you calling the game in the background and the two dogs, like one's fast asleep and then Stanley's on right in front of your fireplace and just absolutely just sweating. <laughs> I mean, be, I like cannot breathe yet will not move. And it's just all you hear is you in the background calling the game. He sits in this little bed on the hearth of the fireplace and he stays there until he literally cannot take it anymore. He can't keep his eyes open, his mouth is hanging open, and then he'll jump down, walk over underneath the table, and just tip over on his side to cool down. But what's funny about that is the only reason his bed's up there on the fireplace is because one day, a couple of years ago, AJ was just messing with him and put his bed up on the fireplace to see what he would do. And Stanley just jumped up there and climbed in his bed. And now he loves it. And Phil hasn't figured out how to get in there yet. So Stanley jumps up in there and just hangs his head off the side and stares at Phil and watches Phil walk around the room and just <laughs> stares at him, knowing that Phil can't figure out how to get in there. So it, it's a safety just zone terrorizing for terrorizing the dog. AJ, by the way, uh, uh, your oldest son, he's our resident uh, physics expert at the uh, Athletic. Um, I've hired, uh, let's see, we have Margo doing photography. We have AJ now as an uh, expert witness. Uh, if, if you read my article today, I'm Brad Hunt. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, well, remember, next is Ariana, he, I think. Remember, AJ was also our physics expert to settle one of the age-old yes. road trip arguments about would it hurt worse to get hit by a bus or a taxi cab. Yes. And we argued this for years, and it's finally, in order to, I thought, prove my point that it would, in fact, hurt worse to get hit by a bus than a cab, we called AJ and said, by the laws of physics, which one packs more force? And he said, well, the bus, obviously. And, and even that wasn't accepted as a winning argument. But it, we've had to use them a couple times to settle some discussions. And then coincidentally, a couple of years later, you found somebody that I was found actually a guy. hit by a bus and a cab. Yep, and a car. It wasn't a, a cab, but it was basically a sedan. And he wound up in the hospital after being hit by the bus, wound up just with a bruised chin being hit by the car, going <laughs> roughly the same speed. So, But even that was not accepted. I thought, what are the odds that we're going to stumble across a guy? Now, this guy wasn't exactly, I'd say, the smartest guy that I had ever crossed paths with. He also almost tore his own ear off of his head by hitting his garage door while backing up with his car door open, like looking out to see where he was going. And the door, like, caught his ear, so his ear had, like, 40 stitches to get it sewn back on his face or on the side of his head. And, you know, wasn't the sharpest guy ever, but bottom line is he was the one constant in a scientific study to find out which one, in fact, hurt worse. Yeah. So we had, we had our data that we needed. Unbelievable. I was almost hit by a bus once, but the tweet was worth worth it <laughs> it was in san jose and i was walking across the street and i was wasn't during the by storm bus. of the century no it? no it wasn't it was a, it was a great tweet you know what it might have been i was in san jose with chad graff and we're walking back to the hotel and i get a direct message people aren't even gonna believe this from anthony weiner you know anthony i, I remember the story yeah. i remember you telling the story about <laughs> him reaching out to you yeah yeah he was uh, he was an islanders fanatic and he just started commenting on something that i was writing and i'm just like is this the Anthony Weiner? And uh, then I, I tweeted this out, and somebody said to me back, like, as long as he was wearing a shirt or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was really awkward. Um, so the reason why I wanted to have you on, Anthony, is, you know, everybody knows who you've been kind of the face of Fox Sports North, North for years. Obviously, you've landed your dream job as one of 31 NHL TV play-by-play guys in the, in the league. Um, and it's funny, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I remember sitting in front of my parents' bed with a flashlight pretending to call games, hockey games, baseball games. I think every kid growing up, you, 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 if you don't want to be a professional athlete, you want to be a professional play-by-play guy. It's, uh, you ask anybody, Matt Maka, the president of the Minnesota Wild, grew up wanting to be a play-by-play guy. Here you are, you're one of 31. I don't think a lot of people know your road to get here. You didn't just land this job. <laughs> you, it was a long, tumultuous, uh, difficult, exhausting road for you. It was, and it's a long story. You, yeah. got, you got time? Yeah, we got time. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I was the same way as you. I was the kid. I was the only kid in my neighborhood that wanted to be the announcer. Everybody else wanted to be the player. Mm-hmm. And I called play-by-play for our neighborhood street hockey games and wiffle ball games. I did them while I was playing. 
but then, I mean, I would call mythical, I would call the old electric football games. Remember, you'd turn the thing on, oh, that yeah. would vibrate, and the guys, I'd, I had a league of teams, and I'd call the play-by-play for these games. I mean, if you name it, I did the announcing while I was playing or while I was watching, and I grew up listening to Minnesota North Star games on the radio with Al Shaver, who was one of the all-time best. I listened to Herb Carneal doing Twins games, but the beauty for, for me with baseball was once it got dark out, I could pick up the Cardinals on KMOX. I could pick up the Tigers on 760, the White Sox on 670, the Cubs on 720, and I would listen to all those broadcasts. The Reds on 700. These were some of the great announcers. Marty yeah. Brenneman in Cincinnati was one of my favorite. Jack Buck was my all-time favorite doing uh, Cardinals games on the radio. And I just I loved the way these guys called games, and I just I was always fascinated by it. So that was where my path began was as a kid. I knew this was the job I wanted. Had absolutely no idea how to get there. I knew nobody in the business. I had nobody in my family had ever been a part of the business. My family was only marginal sports fans, really, and I was kind of the one that brought the passion about sports into our household. But it was, I mean, even when I went to college, I went to St. John's University because I loved it. When I got up there and toured the school, and I thought, well, this is where I want to go to school, they didn't even have a communications major. Mm-hmm. They had a minor, and they told me that by the time you're a junior, we intend to have a major. So I thought, all right, great, this will work out well. And it turned out they didn't, so I minored in communications. And I got a, I actually got a teaching major in social science because I thought if broadcasting didn't work out, I could be a teacher and a high school football coach. So <laughs> you know, now I coach high school football on the side, so it's worked out pretty well. That does remind me, by the way. I remember when I was in high school, I was in love with mass media. I wanted to do anything in media, not being a writer, actually. I just kind of realized that that was probably the last thing I wanted to do in mass media. But I was in mass media one, two, and three. They didn't have a four. And my mass media teacher, Randy Weddle, he created a mass media four. So I could take it my senior year. It was. And and I mean, I would have gone to St. John's anyway, even if they had said we're never going to have a communications major. And it's the one thing that's interesting about my time at St. John's is I went and I did games on the campus radio station. So I did football games, hockey games, some basketball games usually would just drag one of my roommates or something to be my analyst. But I had a public speaking teacher, a guy named Al Ruder, who to this day gave me more tangible lessons than maybe I got anywhere else in my life, even during games that I've called on television. Because I was in a, I think it was just public speaking 202 or something like that. But the bottom line is he believed that in order to be a good public speaker, you had to give speeches. Mm-hmm. Didn't talk about this guy's philosophy when it came to speaking or this way to structure a speech or anything. All he did was we gave speeches. So there were maybe 20 kids in the class, and four kids would give a speech every day, four or five maybe. So about every fourth or fifth day, you would give a speech. The other days, you would critique the others giving speeches. And he had a couple rules. Number one was you could use no note cards or script of any kind. So you had to speak off the cuff. Right. Number two was any vocalized pause, every um, er, ah, whatever, you lost a half a grade. So wow. if you gave a perfect speech but said um twice, the best grade you could get was a B. Wow. You learned in a hurry how to organize your thoughts, yeah. how to prepare yourself, and it's something that I use every single day because you go in – these are the three points I want to remember to make about whatever the topic might be. And some mm-hmm. of the speeches were uh, informational. Some of them were where you had to pick a side of an argument. I mean, they were a variety of speeches. But the bottom line is every single time you had to learn how to get yourself organized mentally in a way that you could go up there and speak off the cuff. And his philosophy was that if you could speak and do it without any note cards or any script that you were more believable, you were more convincing because people mm-hmm. felt like you were speaking yep. from the heart, not Absolutely. something that had been written. And I use it every day. Yeah. It's unbelievable yeah. when I think back on it, how lucky I was to have this class. It's funny because when I was younger, I did extemporaneous speaking when I was in, in uh, high school, and I, I really never learned those traits, and I wish I did because it's still my biggest flaw to me when I'm on like on the radio or whatever that you say you know or – you. Like I'm not a big ummer, but I definitely have words. I, I just had this uh, this recollection of my first ever TV show I ever did. 
was with a guy named Anthony Pittman. It was like the Rosen Sports Sunday in West Palm Beach, Florida. Anthony Pittman was the, the guy's name. I was 16 years old. They asked me to come on. I was working for the Sun Sentinel. They asked me to come on to talk about high school football. And I did this show, and I thought I did an amazing job. I was on for like a half hour. Closing credits, Running Down the Dream by Tom Petty. Every time I think of it, I, I think of every time I hear that song, I think of it. But then I watch it on VHS tape on how I did, and we counted that I said the word outstanding 33 times. <laughs> 33 times I said every player I talked about Maybe was, outstanding. was outstanding. Outstanding running back, <laughs> outstanding. They're going to be outstanding. So I, every time I, I write the word outstanding or hear the word outstanding, I have this like mortifying feeling. So It's amazing when you go back and watch yourself how many things you pick up like that. But this, this class was phenomenal for me. And so back to kind of the path, I graduated from college and everybody else, all my roommates and who incidentally, I just got together with this last weekend, the six guys I lived with my junior and senior year. And all of them had a career path. Uh They all were landing their first jobs. They were buying their first cars when we were late in our senior year. They all, yep, I got a job. I start in July. I got a job. I start in August. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to continue education with this. And I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. I knew exactly where I wanted to end up, but literally no idea how to get there. And so I got done with the, the spring of my senior year. I probably should have been more proactive with it during my senior year, but we got to that summer and I started just calling anybody I could think of. I started with some of the people in St. Cloud that I had crossed paths with during my days of doing the games on the campus radio station. I had seen the guys from the legitimate radio station in St. Cloud that were doing the Johnny games. Incidentally, Dick Bramer was calling St. John's football games when I was a freshman and sophomore. I was doing the games on the campus radio station a couple of booths down, and he was calling them for the legit radio station in St. Cloud. But and I now called, you throw it to him on the Fox right. It's, I've worked with them for years. It's it really it's it's amazing because I remember listening to him do the games and thinking, what a cool voice and yeah. what a, you know there was he, at the time he was doing a few Twins games, but but not full time yet. But anyway, it was these were the type of guys like. Hey, look, I'll do anything. I'll do any game that she'll let me do. And a lot of them, well, you got to get some experience first. You got to get some experience first. So I reached out to Ralph Strangis, who I didn't know. I had never met. He was the color guy for the North Stars on the radio at the time. I knew he had gone to my high school, and he, but he was about 10 years older than me, and I, I had never met him. But through some help at the school, they put me in touch with him, and we went and had lunch, and he was immensely helpful. Gave me a couple of contacts with like local cable. This was in the early days of local cable television where they had to provide public access right. channels. And then there was one, I think, I think it was called Meredith Cable at the time. It turned out to be Media One and then later Comcast. But at this time, so the, in each little suburb, let's say it was Channel 13, it was, Channel 13 was public access. It was different than Anoka and Blaine and Coon Rapids and White Bear Lake and Maplewood and New Brighton. But Channel 14 went to all of them, and it was there what they called local origination, where they actually had guys that were paid to run the mm-hmm. cameras, and, and they were going to provide programming to, that went to all of those communities. So I went to all the little public access channels, and I said, look, I will do anything. So I volunteered. I was doing volleyball, soccer, wrestling, football, basketball, you name it. Mm-hmm. If you can think of the sport, I did it. I did the International Special Olympic soccer tournament. I did the USA Cup. I did the state high school wrestling tournament. And I was doing all these sports. And Ralph's advice was just do as many games as you can possibly right. do. Just anything anybody will offer you, do it. So, And it kind of went fast for me with in to this degree in that I went that fall, the first fall after college, and I was doing whatever these guys would let me do. And the one big, the local origination channel was going to do a holiday hockey tournament. They were going to do the North Star Hockey Classic, which at that time brought eight of the best teams from the state to the Met Center, and they played a tournament. So they had four games each day, and this local origination channel needed to reach out to some of the public access people just to help staff. So will you come and do the afternoon games? So I said, absolutely. A guy named Tarmo Kubitz was going to do the night games because he was the big-time guy. <laughs> but I was going to do the afternoon games. So I do these games. They liked it. They came back to me, and they said, hey, we'd like to offer you. Uh, we've got the winter sports covered, but when we get to the spring, 
we'd like you to come on our Prep Sports Weekly show and do our two high school games of the week. They did a couple of baseball and softball games, and we're going to pay you 50 bucks a week. <laughs> and I was giddy. I was a prof- now yeah. I was a professional broadcaster. I was getting paid 50 bucks a week. So shortly thereafter, I got engaged because now I was I was on the path. So we <laughs> hey we are rolling now. They asked you have me enough then, money to raise a family. Right, right. They asked me then to do the state wrestling tournament and be a part of that. And when I did that, they stopped me afterward. They liked it so much that then they told me it's kind of funny. They said, okay, at the end of the spring, we're going to fire the guy that does this full time, that you're the sidekick for the spring. Uh-huh. And then in the fall, we'd like to hire you full time. So that talk about an awkward spring. I'm yeah. working with this guy all spring, knowing that it, when we get to the end of the spring high school sports season, that he's out yeah. and they're going to hire me. So that fall, now I was a full-time employee of this, and I was not making very much money. I mean, I was probably making sixteen or 18000 bucks a year or something like that. And I was doing two high school games plus this Prep Sports Weekly show and just trying desperately to get enough experience. Started picking up some stuff with small radio stations. And as you go, I mean, there's a few things along the way that – that stand out that kind of you remember as your opportunities and one was I kept trying to get a I'm doing all these high school games I keep calling the channel nine who was doing the state high school tournaments at the time and I said look I, I do 25 or 30 games in each sport all year I'd love to come and do the tournament kept getting no no you can't do it can't do it and finally this one little radio station gave me a chance to do a game and so I came down I did maybe let's say six games out of a state high school hockey tournament or something. And it later that summer led to a chance to do MIAC football games on KFAN mm-hmm. because KFAN out of the blue, uh, their programming director at the time was Doug Westerman. And he calls me and says, you know, Hey, would you be interested? I'm like, absolutely. I'd be interested. I mean, I, you know, how in the world did you even know who I was? I mean, I mean, these are the kind of jobs you'd read about in the paper later and say, well, how did I not apply for this? Yeah. He said, I was standing behind you in the, Civic Center, St. Paul Civic Center press box, while you were calling the Class A third place game between Evolith and International Falls or something. And I thought, this guy's making this third place game between two teams I've never heard of with no players I've ever heard of. Sound like the seventh game of the Stanley Cup. This is the guy we want. So now all of a sudden I'm getting a chance to do games on KFAN, which was a you know a big station at the time. Even though it was it was Division Three football, it was a, a big chance for me. The St. Paul Saints came. I our network, which was called KABL, got the rights to do their games. So I kind of stumbled. I mean, I was just the guy that was there. So I, I did their games, and that was great because it gave me some exposure to professional, even though it was independent ball, mm-hmm. it was professional athletics and professional baseball. And so that, you know, I, you just kind of start to pick up more and more stuff. And then the, along the way, we started our family. And we're still not making any money, and I, I can't tell you – the number of times, and some of these stories just came up this last weekend when I was together with my college roommates because they were among the people that, as good of friends of mine as they are, they doubt it. They were like, well, yeah. how long can you keep doing this? I mean, you know, you're making $35,000 a year working for the St. Paul yeah. Saints, and we've now got two kids and a third one on the way, and, I mean, it's it's tough. And, you know, we had good friends to this day that we've, like – there's a part of you that wants to go back and say, well, do you still think I should have given up on this? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, and family too, that were, you know, I mean, I think this is great and we like listening to you, but you know, I mean, yeah, how much more can you make? How much long can you, yeah. how much longer can you go? And I just kind of kept believing and maybe part of it was that I didn't know what the hell else I was going to do if it didn't right. work, but I still just believed like, I think I can do this. I, I listened to myself. I listened to other guys I'm pretty sure I can do this at, at a high level. And then I got an opportunity to do radio for the Twins, and they called me, which it was not a job for which I applied. They called me and said, hey, we're, we've got this opening. Are you interested? And, well, absolutely I'm interested. And, again, you just kind of wonder, like, how – I mean, I've been applying to jobs yeah. a lot of times and, and can't even get anybody to talk to me. And now all of a sudden, right here – so I went and did Twins radio for a year – and I was doing the road games only. It was great experience. It wasn't the greatest season. The Twins were terrible. And, and it turned out like the, 
it, it just wasn't the right fit for me. But what did happen that season is I got to meet the guys that were the behind-the-scenes guys for the Twins on television. And mm-hmm. I actually spent a lot of time with those guys that summer, the producer, director, with Dick Bramer and Burt Blylevin, who were doing the games at the time. And so then a, a couple of years later, an opportunity arose to do the pre- and post-game shows for the Twins. Well, first of all, those guys gave me some opportunities to do some of their non-revenue stuff, like gopher volleyball and gopher women's basketball and wrestling. So now I went back to work for the Saints now as their PR guy and their TV guy. But also, on the side, I was picking up a bunch of, of games for what was then Midwest Sports Channel. And so it even though the Twins radio season wasn't the greatest experience, it opened some doors for me in terms of connections. Let me just uh, time out for a second. Tell, just uh, for a little comedy, why don't you tell the people the story about uh, that one year that you were doing Twins on the radio when Margo was nine months pregnant, AJ was four, Vinny yeah. was three, your uh, SUV was sputtering down the high, highway yeah. because typical, as usual, you were late for an airplane. And Margo is driving you. It's it's one of my. I almost feel like I should have Margo on next week's podcast to tell it because I bet it's gonna be a yeah, lot funnier than. There you're were about some to actually. It. There were some really good stories from that summer because it it was an opportunity I had to take, but I had to take a pay cut to do it. Yeah, from what yeah. I was doing at KABL at the time and working for the Saints, and but I felt like I have to do this because it's Major League Baseball and. It wasn't a great fit. W. I was an employee, a contracted employee of WCCO Radio that summer. And we were making nothing. But the perception was, hey, now you're in the big leagues. Right. You know? So, I mean, we had a few things where, I mean, there was one week where there had been a mix-up with a previous paycheck that they had overpaid me. So I'm in New York. First time I'm ever in New York. And all of a sudden, the Friday comes, and I don't get a direct deposit. And I called the guy. I was like, what is going on? I, I have no money. And he said, well, we realized we overpaid you like a month and a half ago. So we canceled this paycheck. It's like, well, wait a minute, you can't do that. I mean, it, I mean, you got to let me know. Number one, number two. I mean, I'm now in New York with literally zero dollars in my bank account, and I mean, you can't get a bottle of water right. in New York for. I mean, I think I had like thirty six bucks or something like that that was in my pocket. So I went out for dinner with these guys, and honest to God, all I could do I could have a salad, no cocktails, because I only had thirty six dollars to my name. And I, I threw a series of, of argumentative phone calls with the management at WCCO where I was like, look, I don't care if you think, if you overpaid me before, go ahead and, and dock pay later. But right now, I mean, I didn't see this coming. I didn't expect this. So we worked it out where they were, we'll cut a check. But Margot, nine months pregnant, had to go down to their office to pick up the check and deposit it into our account right away so that we could function. The story you're telling was actually, I'm fairly certain, I'm not absolutely positive, but I'm fairly certain it was the road trip that preceded Gianni's birth, our, our third child. Yeah, she was ready to pop. Yeah, so it was like it. we were going to Chicago and St. Louis on a road trip. Now, uh, Margo was due, the they, we had predetermined that we're going to induce labor on this Thursday when you get home from the road trip. Mm-hmm. So it's a six-game trip, and it is... I'm not exaggerating, 103 degrees in Minneapolis, and it was even hotter in Chicago and St. Louis on this trip. We're on our way to the charter terminal to catch the team plane, and in those days, when they were going to Milwaukee or Chicago, they would fly the morning of the first game rather than fly in the night before. So it's like a 11 a.m. flight or 10 a.m. flight or something that we're going into that city to play that night. And we're on the way to the airport, and sure enough, we are sputtering down the street, and we run out of gas about, I'm going to say, 30 feet from the charter terminal door. So I grab my bags, and I'm like, Margo, I am so sorry, but I cannot help you right now. I have to catch the flight. I mean, the flight's Yeah, they're leaving. not waiting for you. No, and the flight's leaving in a half an hour. And she's got A.J. and Vinny in the backseat. A.J. would have been... AJ would have been four that summer, and Vinny had just turned three. Yeah, so they were, they're little guys. They're in the back, and I think a policeman had to help her to like drive her to a gas station to get a tank, a can of gas to put in the car. But so then we go to Chicago, we go to St. Louis, we play the six games, and now you know, I mean, she's not really interested in hearing, hey, you know what? I had a great night in Chicago tonight. We went out and had a great dinner, and and. 
but the, the bottom line is we flew home from St. Louis after this six-game trip, and the next day went to the hospital, and, and Gianni was born. So, yeah. I mean, she was six days away from giving birth at this point, and it's 100 degrees, and she's it, – it was – Isn't this also this uh, like when Gianni was born, you had like some – wedding or yeah. something to go to and then you come back to the hospital like a day later and you go into her hospital room and she's not there uh yeah so what happened was we had we had arranged to have her so that the twins had played in tuesday on tuesday in st louis and we had no wednesday in st louis so we had decided thursday would be the day when we got home they had played a monday tuesday wednesday series in st louis flew home after the game Thursday, we're going to go to the hospital. They're going to induce labor. Gianni's going to be born on Thursday. And all of our kids were born a month early uh, because Margot got sick at the end of every pregnancy. So our doctor had just said, we're just going to pick a day. You tell me when you want it. I'll induce labor. So we knew it was going to be that day. Well, bottom line is that day it didn't work. So the end of the Thursday comes, and they say, well, we're going to have to put a pause on this and start it again in the morning. So they start in the morning well, my best friend, Keith Ebensteiner, who I think you've met, he's mm-hmm. been my best friend since we were five years old. He's getting married in Brainerd on Saturday, and the groom's dinner is Friday night up at Grandview Lodge in Brainerd. So now I'm like, well, how's this going to work? So Friday morning, they get to the hospital. We induce labor. Gianni's born at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. It was it was rush hour. The doctor didn't even get there. And... <laughs> But so, you know, we're there, she's born, it's six o'clock or so, and I'm like, well, I think I'm going to shoot up to Grandview Lodge to try to catch the end of the groom's dinner if I can. So I think I left at like eight o'clock because I got up there at like 1030 or 11 or something for just the tail end of the groom's dinner. And my parents were going to the wedding and they had brought AJ and Vinny up there already. So I stay with all the groomsmen that night. We have the wedding the next day. Now, it's still like 100 degrees. I mean, it is swelteringly hot up there. But we have the wedding. Now, this is 19... 19- By the way, I just thought of the kicker of the of the previous story. So yeah. remind me when you're done okay. with this one to tell so me. So this is 19... 19- there is a key part of that story that you neglected to tell of the story where Margot ran out of gas. But okay. That you I, might not even know. I might anyway. not know. But okay. So this is 1999. This is the early days of cell phones, right? Uh-huh. So I have a cell phone, but... When we are driving to Brainerd, once you got off the freeways in those days, you had no signal. So we went into Grandview Lodge. It's Saturday. We, you know, we have the, the, the wedding. It's great. Sunday morning, I get up with the boys, and we're, we jump in the truck. And, okay, guys, we're going home. We're going to stop at the hospital and pick Mom and Gianni up. So we finally get cell service when we get out on the little ways down the road. And I call the hospital. And I yeah, can you ring whatever room? And uh, there's nobody in that room. So, well, yeah, my wife's in the room. And no, 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 she's, nobody's in there. And I said, well, can you find Margo LaPanta? Hold, hold, they're looking. No, we have no, there's nobody in the, in the natal or the neonatal wing, whatever. And it's like, well, how is this possible? And so now you start to think like, well, could you check? I mean, is it, cause Johnny was born a month early. And when AJ was born, Margo had to stay in the hospital for like a week because she had been sick. When Vinny was born, he had to stay in the hospital for like a week. So now I'm starting to think, well, maybe something happened after I left. And I mean, is there any chance that, well, let me check. I'll check the ICU. I'll check the emergency wing. And so now, you know, I mean, it takes a little bit to get me to panic, but I'm starting to worry a little because you know I'm on the phone for like 20 minutes and they can't find her, can't find her. And finally, somebody comes on and says, yeah, it's the nurse that was there when she was born. And Mr. Lepanta, yeah, yeah. And she said, yeah, Margot checked herself out and went home yesterday. It's like, what? I mean, she, <laughs> you don't just, and she said, yeah, she was feeling great. So she just checked herself out and went home. So I hang up the phone and call our house. And sure enough, Margot's at home. And I was like, well, you didn't think to maybe let me know that you had checked out of the hospital. I mean, what if we had just gone to the hospital? And, and she was like, yeah, we felt great. So Margot had checked herself out. And just stopped at Target on the way yeah. home to pick up stuff, and like had people stopping and looking at this baby, like, "Oh, how old?" And Margot would say, "Well, twenty hours." I mean, <laughs> and they're was, like, just empathy over there, right? Like, where's yeah. your husband? Right. Uh, my other uh, love. Uh, I'll I'll go back to the the kicker, the other story, but the, my other favorite one is when AJ was born. You like ordered a pizza. Oh uh, yeah, that was that. Was, so that was our first, and it was a month early. But this was we didn't know that one was going to be a month early. Uh-huh. 
I'm at the office at KABL World Headquarters, and I get this call. I call Margo because she just had a normal well care checkup, and I said, yeah, how'd it go? Well, they said I have toxemia, so we're going to have the baby tomorrow. We have to check into the hospital today, and I thought she was kidding. She said, no, 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 I'm serious. So we race home. I grab her. We go down. We check into the hospital, and they try to get her settled down and everything. They're going to induce labor because the, the cure for this is birth. And it didn't work, so they say, okay, we're going to shut it down. We're going to start it again in the morning. Well, we're a month early, so we have nothing ready at our house. So I say, all right. They, they like gave her something to help her sleep. So I go home. I stop at Target, and I'm buying everything that you uh, give me everything I need to have a baby <laughs> and you know diapers and towels and and wet wipes and you name it I'm buying it a diaper genie uh, I had a we had a chest that was going to be our changing table but it had to be painted so I'm home I'm painting that I'm finishing painting the baby's room I'm putting a crib together I'm up all night and I it, literally all I did was I didn't sleep I, it was about 6 30 in the morning I jump in the shower and then drive back down there because they said at 7 o'clock we're going to come back in and, and start the process again. So I sit down in this chair, and Margot tells the story like it looks like she has some kind of a junkie for a husband because I sit in this chair, and I am out cold. I've been up all night. And so then, you know, they're worried they're coming in because her blood pressure was really high. So they come in at this one point, and this is like mid-morning, and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give her some morphine. She's going to sleep for like four hours. She'll still have contractions, but then the first one she feels, it's time to have the baby. But she's going to sleep for like four hours. So, okay, fine. So they give her this, and I haven't eaten yet, so I call Devani's, which is across the street, to order a pizza. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm thinking, I got four hours, right? Well, so I call and order the pizza. Ten minutes, Margo says, all right, it's time. I'm like, Margo, you're supposed to sleep for four hours. She said, I'm telling you, it's time. Margo, come on. It's like, and she'll go down to the nurse's stand. So I walk down there and I'm like, uh, Margo says she's ready. And sir, she's got to sleep for like four hours. I said, I'm telling you, can you just come down and tell her? Because she isn't interested in listening to me. So the nurse comes down and sure enough, all of a sudden it's scramble mode. Like they're racing in with carts. They're bringing in all these machines. And it's like, I, it, holy cow, it, she's right, it's time. And so, you know, now the process is just starting. Like, they are, okay, here we go. We're, and knock, 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 it's the Devani's guy on the door, <laughs> at the door. And, and Margo's like, do not bring that pizza in here. And, and I'm like, look, bud, just, and he said, well, I got this pizza. I said, I understand. My wallet's over there on the counter. Just take what you need. And and I, I'm, I'm busy right now, bud. And... And so, and she's like, Dick, close the door. I mean, she didn't want to smell it. She didn't want it anywhere close. So the guy leaves the pizza in the hallway, takes whatever money he needs, and like two minutes later, AJ's born. So That's we've had a couple we've had a couple entertaining stories of childbirth in our family. Uh, the kicker to the other story, which I don't even know if you know, is, is I think you got to Chicago or wherever you were going and probably feeling guilty that you left your nine-month-old, you know, nine-month pregnant wife on the street with no gas. So you called your mom, Judy, to tell her the story, and Judy calls Margo and just proceeds to, like, cry and apologize on your behalf. Yeah, I did hear that part of it. That's right. That wasn't the only time I think I mean, my parents apologized guilty. for me to Margo. They, they liked Margo more than me at a pretty early point in our relationship. Oh, man, that is funny. Um, uh, lots more to talk to you about, uh, and, and I, I do want to get the kicker of how you got to this point in your yeah. career, but I do want to say, like, you know, uh, if you enjoy these stories, uh, you might want to consider coming to Europe with us. This is going to be my fourth trip next summer. Yeah. I did uh, I did alone. I did uh, Scotland and, and um, Ireland, but two years ago, there's my um, uh, two years ago we did Tuscany and Como and Venice. Uh, Last summer we did uh, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, yeah, which was and the amazing. Alps was and this summer, July 9th to the 18th, DefineDestinations.com, we were doing a trip, uh, Anthony and me, with a bunch of wild fans to Budapest, Prague, and Vienna, which is going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, and I'll exp look, go to the website to figure out exactly, but but your cost pretty much covers everything. It's and, an, they're unbelievable yeah. trips, and we do have a we have some great times telling stories and. The people have been awesome. 
last year exceeded expectations for me at every turn yeah. with how beautiful it was. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to about this year's trip, just when they've said, hey, where are you going this year? And I've told them, and they've said, I've done that trip. It is the most beautiful yeah. spots that I've ever been in the world. And I'm I know I'm really we're staying at a five-star hotel yeah. in Prague, too, which I can't, I can't wait for. But there's plenty of times like this, just kind of sitting around after dinner, have a couple cocktails and tell some stories. and the, Talking about the wild yeah. uh, and, and just everything about the team. I mean, it's, it's just to me, I mean, it's such a cool trip, and we've become – I mean, some of my closest friends now in Minnesota are people that have gone on these trips, and and that's what's so cool about it is that there it's kind of the you have the touring during the day, which is just so stress free because we have nothing to do with it, right? Um, and you you chat about the wild, and there and you have dinner, and then all of a sudden you kind of retire to a bar and open up a bottle or two or ten of wine, <laughs> and you just sit around and tell stories, and it's right. just it's really. Just an awesome experience, especially when you're doing it under a mountain and right. And the and the, the stories are great, but the Michael Kenny does such an yeah. awesome job planning the trip. He's been to these places. The things that he's exposed us to over the years yeah. that we never would have thought to to stop and visit. We have an unbelievable guide. Yeah, guy, the guide Peter. is yeah it's, Peter. He's from Vienna, so he's going to be out of control this right. trip. Yeah, he's from Austria, so and, and, uh, and, a, and a European history yeah. nut. Yes, it's crazy the cities that we would visit. What he would tell us on the bus on the way there, and then all of a sudden the local guide, the expert of that city, would tell the story almost verbatim, and it'd be like I could have sworn Peter was full of it on the bus, yeah. just making just making up stories, and then we get there, and the woman from the city tells us the same thing. Well, we just did Innsbruck and Salzburg, and on our way from Salzburg to Innsbruck, we drove by his hometown, and the pride is of him talking about his hometown is just it's palpable on the bus, and it's uh, it's just I'm telling you, if if you're interested in a trip like this to hang out with other wild fans as well, my mom, your wife. Uh, uh, go to definedestinations.com. We're doing it next year during the baseball all-star break and, and a little past that, uh, July 9th to the 18th. Again, uh, the hotel I just looked at that we're staying at in Prague is off the charts. Um, unbelievable meals. Uh, these trips include your airfare, your hotel, your um, excursion, gratuities, uh, a lot of meals. Uh, not every meal, just because a lot of times you want to do your own thing. Um, but it's just an absolutely uh, awesome trip. So, uh, definitely come on that as well. Uh, again, defineddestinations.com. Um, Anthony, like, uh, b- before we go back to your path, the one story that I just, I don't know why, <clears throat> maybe I'm a, a glutton for your punishment, but the one story <laughs> I love that I don't know if you've ever told like in full is the on something like this is the story where you and Gorg were in the car accident with Dusty Peterson, oh, the wild videographer. Yeah, um, well, and so I this should, is pre you. Yeah, being I should probably preface it because the so after the season with the Twins on the radio, I went back to work for the St. Paul Saints as their public relations and media relations guy on a full time mm-hmm. basis, plus doing their games on TV, and was doing road radio as well the first year, and then Fox Sports North came in and bought Midwest Sports Channel, and they. They were going to do some pre- and post-game shows for the Twins. They weren't quite sure how many. They, I actually did the first broadcast they ever did was the WCHA Final Five. And they had asked me to come and do sideline for them. And I did sidelines for this play-in game of the Final Five. And after the broadcast, I'm walking by the truck. And Mike Diamond, who is now the general manager at Fox Sports North, at that time was... Uh, I believe he was the executive producer for Fox Sports Rocky Mountain in Denver, but he had come in to kind of oversee the transition to Fox. He stopped me outside the truck. I'd never met him. And he said, hey, I'd be curious. I really like what you did on tonight's show. Would you be interested in doing Twins pre- and post-game shows for us this summer? Well, I had a full-time job with the Saints. And I said, well, I absolutely would. How many games are you talking about? He said, we don't know. And I said, well, I can't leave my job if it's going to end up being 20 games. If it's going to end up being 100, now I'm interested. Maybe what else would it be in the winter and all that. And bottom line is they couldn't commit to a a number. What it turned out to be was every 7 o'clock central start. So most weeknight games at home and then the weeknight games on the road in like Texas and Kansas City and Milwaukee. So, But bottom line is I started doing some of those games 
A couple of years later, that then led to a full-time job with Fox in 2004. They said, now we are going to launch full pre- and post-game shows. So for a couple of years, I did some of them, but not all of them. They hired Clay Matvick that came in and did some, and, and he actually got the lion's share of them, like in the 03 season, I think. And But in 04, they said, we're going to hire a full-time, we're going to hire four full-time people, and we're going to do a pre- and post-game show before every broadcast. And the reason why it's significant is that, well, number one, it's significant because they offered me one of the four spots. But number two, it was the first job that I had taken where my primary role was not going to be a play-by-play guy. Mm -hmm. But at this point, now we had had our fourth child. AJ was 10, 9 or 10. Vinny was 8. I felt like, you know what, this is going to be good enough Play-by-play is still my dream. They there's they told me there's going to be some play-by-play opportunities, but for the most part, I'm going to be a studio guy. It's not exactly what I wanted to do, but it was the first time I was going to – I just had to make a choice based on this is – I'm going to double my paycheck, and I have to do this for my family right now. Mm-hmm. And plus, I don't have to travel. So I'm going to be doing shows from home when the team's on the road. You know, I may have to travel a little bit, but for the most part, I'm going to be at home – and this is where I want to be with my kids at this age. And so that really changed life because now it was the first time that I had a job with a, a steady income every month that was enough to pay our bills. It was the first time where we didn't have to wonder every month, can I pick up enough stuff on the side to make things work at the end of the month? Because Margot hadn't really worked during this time. She, she had since she had started working part-time as a, at a photography studio through a long coincidence of other stories that's maybe fit for another time. <laughs> but the bottom line is we wanted to have Margot at home with our kids. We didn't want to have them we didn't want to have them go to daycare. We wanted to be home with them, so we made a lot of sacrifices to make that work. So now I'm doing the pre and post game shows for some twins, some wild. Sometimes I'm the sideline guy, sometimes I'm the host. And now we get to like 2000 six-ish, so maybe a year and a half into this. And my boss came to me and said, hey, we want you to be the face of our network. Mm-hmm. We think that you know we love what you're doing on the studio stuff. We want you to be the face of the network, be our Monday through Friday, pre- and post-game host. We'll have everybody else fill in around that. And you know the trade-off is I'd get every weekend off. So I wasn't only doing football or uh, baseball and hockey anymore. Now I was doing some Wolves. And it made for some long weeks because we were doing high school hockey games too at the time. So there'd be a lot of weeks where I might have a wild pregame on a Monday, Wolves on a Tuesday, Wild on a Wednesday, a high school hockey game Thursday, and a gopher hockey pregame show on Friday night. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to keep up with a lot yeah. of stuff. But bottom line is it was that was a career changer as well. And so now we get to the, the first hockey day. I was the host at, at XL Energy Center the whole day. And it was – I was basically the traffic cop for all the games. The second year, they said, we want you to go up to site on, at Badette Bay, and you're going to call the high school game, and then we're going to have a presence up there throughout the day during the Gopher game and the Wild game. But it was so cold, it was like minus 22 air temp, I think, and like minus 60 wind chill. And they had told us this was coming the day before. The day before, it was sunny and like, five or eight or something. I mean, it was, the weather was great, but we had heard this was coming. So Kevin and I went in, Kevin Gorg and I went into this outdoor shop in Bidette and bought, like, we need the best boots and jacket and mittens and stuff that you have because <laughs> we're going to be outside all day tomorrow. And it's funny because we went to breakfast the next day and we're sitting having breakfast and we're like, what's this storm everybody was talking about? I mean, it's great outside. This is perfect. And we're eating our breakfast and all of a sudden Kevin turns and he goes, Look outside. We look outside. It is snowing sideways. Mm-hmm. It had gone from crystal clear to snowing sideways in the blink of an eye. Like it was gale force winds, sideways snow. So we do the high school game outside up there. Two of them. Uh, I know one was Blaine against Rozo, which the Blaine team had Nick Bukestad. The Rozo team had Aaron Ness. It was mm-hmm. it was a great game, one zero game. But it was so cold that all of our equipment was freezing. 
Kevin had started his IFB on fire. He had melted one of his gloves trying to stand by a space heater. I mean, it was it was crazy how cold it was. I never and, knew that stuff. Yeah. So, but our our boss decided that we have to pre-tape everything as soon as it gets dark. Everything you guys were going to do like later in the night, as soon as it gets dark, we'll pre-tape it and just make it look live. So be generic with it and everything, and because we can't stay out here any longer, yeah. all the cables are freezing. So we had taped all this stuff. Well, we were planning to stay overnight in Bidette because we thought we were going to be on the air up there till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Well, now it's 6 and we're done. So we're like, well, let's grab something to eat and jump in the car and drive home. His girlfriend was flying home from Mexico. My son was in a basketball tournament the next morning. So I was like, this would be great. We'll drive home tonight we'll, and be there for all this stuff in the morning. So Kevin... Myself and then Dusty Peterson, who was a an intern for us at the time or a production assistant. Now he's works for the Minnesota Wild, so in fact he's with us on this trip. But we jump in his van, and now it's as I tell you, it's like minus sixty wind chill. But we're going to. I be never the, knew this was Dusty's van. No, it was Kevin's. Oh, van. okay, Kevin. It was okay. Kevin's van, a minivan. But it was but Dusty's in the back seat. Now Dusty's been up like all night editing and stuff, so Dusty's asleep in about four minutes when we're getting down the road. We're, it's a four and a half, five hour drive. So, I mean, we've thrown all our jackets in the back. We're in jeans and a t-shirt because we're settling in for a long car ride. Well, all of a sudden we're on the road and Kevin hits a snow drift and the, the minivan rolls into the ditch. And it is like, after later, when we went back to look at it, we found out that we had rolled like, you know, almost 200 yards into the ditch. It was crazy. The first flip was nose over tail end, and then we rolled sideways. So we ended up about 200 yards into the ditch. And now it's snowing sideways. Kevin is huddled up in the corner, shivering, and, like, scared. I mean, we all were a little bit scared. Um, I'm, like kind of crawling around trying to find a phone. My phone had been dead, so I'm trying to find somebody's Shocker. phone. Right, Trying to find somebody's phone, and Dusty says, well, I have a phone. Now, our van has landed, like, sideways at, like, a 45-degree angle. So Dusty's sitting in one of the captain's seats in the back seat, like, buckled in, and he hits the seat belt release button and falls, like, right on his head <laughs> under the ground. <laughs> and I'm looking, like, what the hell's wrong with you? And but he gives me his phone, so I call nine one one. You, I think you were meaner to Dusty. I was, but uh, we'll get to that point. So I call nine one one, and I'm like, look, I have no idea where we are. I mean, I, the last thing I remember is we turned south on Highway One, but I, I don't know if that was five minutes ago, twenty minutes ago. I, you know, I wasn't paying attention. I have no idea where we are. And I, you know, Kevin, are you okay? Kevin, are you okay? I am fine. I'm fine. So bottom line is. We end up with, now somebody starts knocking on the side of the van because they had seen us roll in there. So I open the sliding door and, is everybody okay? Yep, we're okay, we're okay. And, but I, you know, the engine's running, so I was kind of worried, like, if we shut the engine off, I don't know where we are or how far away we are from anything, and we could freeze. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know if an engine's safe to keep running when your yeah, van's laying run, yeah. on the side, right? Yep. And so we, but I wanted to see if we could at least open the sliding door, which we could, the sliding side door. And so we tell these people, yep, we're okay, we're okay. And Kevin's like, close the door, close the door, because he's freezing. So I close the door. We're try, I'm trying to find our jackets and everything. I had given the 911 operator as much information as I could. She had put me on hold. I'm trying to find the jackets. I hand the phone to Dusty, and I said, Dusty, just... When she comes back, just tell her what, well, what am I going to tell her? What am I, I said, I, I don't know, Dusty. I mean, just, I don't know what she's going to ask you. Well, I know, but what am I going to tell her? I was like, Dusty, I, I don't know. Just answer whatever question. But I mean, I don't know what to tell her. I was like, just give me the damn phone, Dusty. And so I take the phone back and I'm crawling around. I find our jackets and stuff. And, and then as we were, okay, guys, we got to put our jackets on and walk to the highway. We can't just sit here in this van. I don't think it's safe. The 911 lady thinks she knows where we are. I think we just have to trust that somebody's going to find us yeah. and start walking that way. And as we climb out of the van, we see the first police car pull up. So we, we're going to be okay. So we walk to the road. And I don't know what order these policemen came, but there was, there was a black duck 
city like policeman. There was whatever county sheriff we were in. But so the first one, we get in this little police car. We're in the back seat, three across, you know. And this guy is like, yeah, he's got the driver's licenses out. He goes, yeah, I got a Anthony LaPanta, a Kevin Gorg, and a Dusty Peterson. And all of a sudden, what do you have, the whole Fox Sports North broadcast team there with you or something? And were you guys with Fox Sports North? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So sure enough, the county guy comes, he raps on the window and, you know, hey, I was just watching you guys on TV. And we're like, well, can we talk about this later and roll up the window? Because it's freezing out here. And then the highway patrol comes. Same thing, comes over and bark, bark, bark. Hey, I was just watching you guys on TV. We're like, okay, well, how about we like go somewhere else? We would be happy to chat. We can tell stories. So we drive into Black Duck and the police station happens to be connected to like the uh, the mechanic shop and the garage and stuff, so we're sitting in this in this police station and we're just kind of chatting with the highway patrolman, the county sheriff, the black duck policeman, and the tow truck guy, and we're just kind of t- talking to him and and uh, all of a sudden and Kevin's waiting like, well, we got to see if we can drive my van home. Kevin, your van was like the top is like a forty five degree angle. We ain't driving your van home. And, but he wanted to wait to see. And so all of a sudden, Kevin comes walking over, and he's just like white as a ghost. And he is like, I got a message from Margo on my phone saying, like, please call me. I have this feeling something happened to you guys. And he is just like, uh, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Well, I hadn't called Margo because I was waiting until we knew what we were going to do right. before I called her. I was like, it doesn't do any good to call her and then say, hey, I'll call you back once I know, like, if we're going to still make it home tonight or whatever. Well, what had happened is when I had called Margo, like, 20 minutes earlier from Kevin's phone and because mine was dead. When we crashed, it redialed our number. Yeah. So Margo had answered the phone at home and heard the crash actually happen. Heard us, ka-doom, boom, 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 and then... Kevin, are you okay? Kevin, are you okay? And she said, I hear the people rap on the door like, hey, is everybody okay? Is everybody alive? You know, and, and she's listening to this at home, unbeknownst to me. I didn't know that Kevin's phone had called her back. And she happened to be in our house with my parents. And so she's, because they're watching Hockey Day Minnesota on TV. She's answering the phone and like, in and she said, the only thing that saved me was, well, so first I, Call Margo back, and I said, "Hey, Margo." I said, "Is there anything you want to tell me?" I was like, "Well, yeah, we're in an accident," and and she was like, "Okay, well, two things. Number one, you have got to be nicer to Dusty <laughs> because I had screamed at him for not like just I don't know, Dusty, just answer the damn questions. I mean, and but so she then tells me the story like your parents are sitting in the room, and I'm trying to act like nothing is wrong as I'm listening to this crash. And then the poli- the people, hey, is everybody alive? And I'm like, everybody alive? What is going on? And so bottom line is the guy brings Kevin's van in with a tow truck, and it's totaled. And But he says, well, Kevin says, I don't know what we're going to do now. i got to get it towed to the cities. And the guy says, well, I can tow it to the cities. Kevin says, great. I said, Kevin, wait a minute. We're in Black Duck. I mean, you know how much a tow from here to, the, to Burnsville is going to cost? I got the best towing. I got the best package of insurance you can have they'll cover any tow so they don't cover tows from black duck to burnsville kevin but he said he wanted to do it so then tow truck driver dusty me kevin ride four across in the front seat of this guy's flatbed tow truck from black duck to burnsville <laughs> and we got home at about 5 30 or 6 o'clock in the morning and and uh it was it was quite a story. It was quite a night. A night. And moral of the story is the insurance company did not cover. No, they didn't. Well, they no, they did not. I mean, it was like <laughs> it was a, like a thousand dollar charge for the tow. Luckily, my boss. Oh, the so one of the other parts of the story is as we're sitting there, and I finally turned to one of the guys. I said, "Boy, I bet you guys have been busy tonight pulling people out of the ditch." And the guy says, "Well, this is nothing. You should have seen these dumbasses we had to pull out of the ditch on Friday." said they had a Winnebago, and they had pulled off to the side of the road for some reason and, and like, buried their Winnebago in a snowbank, and we had to tow them out. Well, that was my boss. My (laughs) boss and his boss from L.A. who had flown in to see Hockey Day Minnesota, they didn't tell us the story that they had 
buried their Winnebago in a snowbank on the way up and had to get towed out. So when we got home, it was like, well, before you guys critique us for rolling the van, I heard a story about you guys in your Winnebago on the way up there. <laughs> and my boss just kind of laughed. And so then I think they felt like, well, we had to tow ourselves out of the ditch. Yeah, we should probably well help out Gorgie on this deal. Uh, my favorite part of that story that you left out is when when he calls his girlfriend Chrissy oh, on the way home. The, yeah, yeah, the tow truck. I'm in the tow truck. So she's flying in from Mexico that <laughs> night, the next morning. Yeah. And so she calls him because he had told her, hey, I'm going to drive home tonight. I'll meet you at the airport. She calls him when we're in this tow truck. And, I mean, this tow truck ride was it was hell. It was we're going 40 miles an hour yeah. and we're bouncing like, you know, the old school buses that had yeah. no shocks and stuff. And I'm watching as the guy's GPS thing, estimated time of arrival, 4.30, 4.40, 5 o'clock, 5.20. I mean, we are, it's so slow. Losing time. Losing time. And the seat was about, it came up to like the middle of your back and then the back, so you couldn't lean back because the back of the cab was like two feet behind that. So I had propped like two boots between the back of the thing and so that I could at least put my head back on this thing. So Kevin's doing the same thing. We're trying to sleep. It's the middle of the night. And Chrissy calls him and says, hey, Kevin, what are you doing? He said, well, we had an accident. We're driving home. We're in a tow truck. And she's, you're in a tow truck? Kevin, you can't. You can't get this thing towed from Black Duck. I mean, that's going to cost us a fortune. He's like, and he's not interested in hearing from what her opinion is on this. So he's holding the phone like four feet away from his ear, as, and all you can hear is like the, and Chrissy, I don't need to hear it right now. And she's like, Kevin, you're an idiot. You can't get a tow from there. It's going to cost us like $1,000. And Chrissy, Right now, I don't need to hear. I mean, Kevin was, he was out of patience at that moment. So that was good, too. That's funny. Thanks for listening to this episode of Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. And thanks to my buddy, Anthony LaPanta, for joining. And just remember, this is an abbreviated version of this podcast. If you ever want to get full podcasts of Straight from the Source and also my bonuses throughout the year, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Straight from the source.